on today's episode, Understanding the Mind-Body Connection with Jeff Cragen. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, and smarter runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am the guy to reach out to when you've finally decided enough is enough with your persistent running injuries. I'm a physiotherapist, the owner of the Breakthrough Running Clinic, and your podcast host. I'm excited to bring you today's lesson and to add to your ever-growing running knowledge. Let's work together to overcome your running injuries, getting you to that starting line and finishing strong. So let's take it away. Okay, I know I say this for a lot of episodes, but this one is a really, really good one. Today we have Jeff on and we take our pain science episodes that we have all listened to and we all know, and we're just taking this to the next level. I do recommend if you haven't listened to the pain science episodes, please go back earlier into um, the podcast archives and get your head around the pain science sort of stuff. To start with, it's more of a superficial kind of introductory lesson and then come back and listen to this one because this is super, super powerful. Jeff does a really good way of explaining things and this is uh, the knowledge that he has and the wisdom that he shares. Every runner should listen to and every runner should uh, experience this interview with an open mind because it can be extremely powerful if you understand it and then practically take away and assess and self-reflect on the information that you've learned from this episode. First, what we're going to do is um, I'm going to play a YouTube video that doesn't need any real visual, but we're going to play the audio for you now, and then we'll dive into the interview with Jeff. If you do want to um, have the video sent to you, or if you want to know more about Jeff, he does uh, have a few social media plugs at the end. But if you do want access to this video, I can send it to you because he's emailed it to me. But let's listen to his video now and we'll dive into the interview. In 2012, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis. At the time, I was pursuing a career as a professional film and TV actor. I was in the gym training for a role when two days after I started to experience back and leg pain. At first, I thought nothing of it and I carried on as normal but the pain began to get worse. That evening, I went to stand up to greet my brother at the door, and suddenly my body fell and collapsed to the floor in agony. I was rushed to the emergency. He took x-rays. My x-ray showed visible signs of a herniated disc and other abnormalities in my spine. Once I got this diagnosis, my symptoms got worse. I was referred to a rheumatologist who urged me to take a blood test. The blood test came back, and it showed a genetic autoimmune disease called ankylosing spondylitis as well as arthritis in my spine and inflammation in my joints and my feet. He told me that the blood test revealed a genetic gene called HLA-B27, and people who have this gene have the disease. He told me that I had to go on medications for the rest of my life. He told me that my spine would fuse, and even the fittest people with this disease are unable to do any physical activity and usually end up in a wheelchair or worse. He told me that there was no cure. I did the right thing by seeking help. He did the wrong thing by filling me with fear and disconnecting my mind from my body at the time of the diagnosis, while not giving me permission to heal. From that moment, 
I knew I was on my own. After this, I went on a wild chase to fix myself. I tried acupuncture, massage, chiropractors, Reiki, medical intuitives, physiotherapy, ozone injection therapy, ayahuasca. I tried various diets. I went to a naturopath thinking that it must be the food. I took an IgA food sensitivity test and it showed that I was allergic to more than 90 different foods. She told me that my body was getting inflamed by these foods and that once I cut them out, the pain would stop. That didn't work either, and my symptoms got worse. Over the next six years, the pain and other symptoms became an obsession. They ruled my every waking thought. Pain was the first thing I thought about in the morning and the last thing I dreaded at night. I felt constantly fatigued, sick, depressed, and I was always thinking that my body was slowly dying. My career, relationships, and life were slowly slipping away from my hands like hot quicksand. And all I could do was sit back and watch. During this time, my brother ironically began to experience similar symptoms. For him, it all started with a blood test as well. His test showed elevated levels of mercury. He began to experience tinnitus ringing in his ears, sciatica. His x-ray showed fractures, herniated discs, and he also had IBS and other symptoms. Doctors kept telling him his spine was damaged and herniations, fractures, bulging discs, and other abnormalities were the cause. We both made a promise to each other that if our pain got too much to bear and we wanted to pull the plug on life, that we'd call each other first. Many of those calls happened, but we refused to be a victim of our diagnosis and kept searching. And ultimately, we found a way out. My journey took me on a path of self-discovery and teachings on the mind-body connection. I began to discover that my symptoms were there to protect me from unconscious repressed emotions that were too painful for me to feel consciously. I began to see that the pain was there as a helper, a guide to my truth. I began to see that my effort to try to endlessly fix myself physically was actually a distraction from myself emotionally and another way for me to keep running away from these painful emotions, to run away from my cure. I healed by realizing that my mind and body are interconnected to physical pain and disease. I healed myself by being honest with how I truly feel in each moment. I had to completely take my awareness off of any physical pain or any diagnosis and focus solely on the emotions, thoughts, beliefs, personality traits, and past anger I harbored from childhood. I had to say sorry to the part of my sensitive self that I denied the world for far too long. I had to forgive the part of myself that I rejected. At times, the emotions and sensations were so intense that I just wished and prayed that the pain would just come back. I healed by taking full responsibility for what was happening in my body and had to stop being a victim in any way. I healed by loving myself again and completely trusting and surrendering control to the unfolding moment. The pressure I put on myself to become a world-renowned actor was only ruling my need of not being good enough and loved. And when I didn't succeed in acting the way that I wanted, the drill sergeant in my head was there ready to abuse me. Eventually, that internal abuse took its toll and my body said no. I healed myself of all of these incurable symptoms. Without the use of medication, diet, rehab, surgeries, and other restrictive therapies. My brother also did the same thing. 
We shared the same pain, but ultimately, our pain was our healing. It was a gift. During my journey, someone told me that my symptoms could be emotionally caused. At the time, I laughed and said, no, it's physical pain. I know my body, I'm a personal trainer. It would take me another four years to come back and listen to what this person had to say. After I listened, my body healed within weeks and all of my symptoms went away. At the time, I wasn't ready to hear it. If this resonates with you and you feel trapped in a diagnosis and your life is full of pain, disease, fear, and confusion, I wanna tell you something. Whatever is happening right now is happening for you, not to you. You just have to come back to this part of yourself that has been waiting there this whole time. And I want to tell you something else. There is a way out, and you just have to take the journey. The choice is yours. Jeff, we've just heard your story. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. Uh, I just want to officially say welcome, and thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. And thank you for uh, the podcast. It's, it's cool, the uh, Run Smarter podcast and how you're doing online physio. I think that's really cool um, to step into the, the new era of <laughs> online um, modalities, you know? Yeah, thanks, dude. Uh, let's just start off. You, uh, We've just listened to your story and it's phenomenal to hear such a, such a backstory, especially happening to you and your brother also. Let's start with like what you can pinpoint as the trigger of your initial symptoms and your best understanding of it looking in hindsight. Mm, Yeah, thank you. Um, The trigger for me, I think it started all from childhood, to be honest. Um, Growing up, you know, I was the younger brother and I was always seeking the attention of others and trying to one up my brother all the time and trying to like be better than him and get the attention. And, and I always felt that I never got the love and attention I needed when I was a child. And so I'd find that in other ways. And then it kind of grew into um, when I started my acting career, uh, <laughs> the one career where it's pretty much mostly rejection and then you <laughs> get some love and attention. <laughs> um, so yeah, I started the acting career and I did that for about 10 years. And uh, it's, it really started from when I was a young age. I, I had a lot of uh, uh, dairy allergies when I was quite young and it just kind of came out of nowhere. Um, a lot to do with how sensitive I was as a child and how in tune I was with people's energy. And I shut that down when I was a very young kid because a lot of it was shut down in me or kind of hit out of me or, or whatever, you know, things we go through and traumas we go through when we're kids. And I look, looking back on it now, it was very clear that I was so sensitive when I was a kid that I was told that message that other people didn't like it or I was too emotional. So I started to hate that part of myself and because it was the thing that would, uh, keep me from being unaccepted by other people. So I started dumbing down my own truth in order to appease people around me and developed a very big people pleasing tendency of like, well, what would they want from me instead of knowing and stepping into what I want for me. And uh, that's where it really started. And then the acting perpetuated it where um, my agent 
at the time was like, you're too skinny. You need to bulk up uh, in order to book these roles because I get a lot of military roles. Um, and so I put a ton of pressure on myself in order to be better, in order to be good enough. And basically what happened was I was in the gym and two days after uh, I started to experience the symptoms. And at the time I was also getting into a new relationship and there was a lot of pressure going on in order to be the successful actor and have this relationship and make sure that this, this girl was going to be the, the right one and we we're moving in together. And yeah, just a lot of different pressures, self-imposed pressures I put on myself. And then eventually uh, my body said no. And I was not listening the whole time. I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing and kept repressing and pressing and repressing the ideas of who I thought I was from childhood and who people told me I was. Uh, but really looking back on it, it was my uncomfortability in myself being that emotional, expressive person and sensitive person, but also a very quick to temper person as well, quick to anger. And so I repressed that side of myself uh, over and over in my adult experience too, so that in order to be accepted and loved by others. So eventually my body found a way to get attention, acceptance, and love through physical symptoms and disease. I always say that um, when a kid doesn't feel attended to or loved or wanted, they will have a tantrum and they'll cry to get the attention. Now, when an adult doesn't, they'll develop a physical pain, disease, or an ailment in order to get the attention that they need. So oftentimes, the physical ailment is a way for us to feel these past hurts. And that's, that's exactly what happened with me is that uh, it was just years and years of repressing how I was truly feeling and not acknowledging what the symptom was trying to tell me. And it was trying to, it was there to help me to there to show me like, this is not your authentic self. This is not who you really are. This is who you're afraid to not be. Yeah. Wow. And if there's anything that, like from my understanding of pain is that there needs to be a purpose behind it, whether it's um, helpful or unhelpful, there's, there always needs to be a purpose that the brain thinks, okay, we need to send these signals. So this person changes it does right. seem like the circumstances you were going through, it kind of compiled and was kind of like this perfect storm for uh, you to start experiencing these symptoms. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I have done a couple of pain episodes in the past where I've tried to uh, get these runners who are listening to this content aware of the pain science and where um, – the pain science yeah. is leading to because there's a lot of misconceptions out there. And like I, I just said before, like a hundred percent of the time, the signals and the pain and messages are all coming from the brain and the brain thinks that it's helping. It's helping in some way, whether that be consciously or unconsciously to you. And when you were going through this, when I was watching your video, there was a few alarm bells that was going off in my mind. And the first one being when, you're talking about you went and got scans, you went and saw a doctor, the doctor gave you this diagnosis and this prognosis of what this um, ailment 
progresses into and what your future would look like. And listening to that myself and my understanding of pain science, there's no wonder that your symptoms started to get worse from there because the messages you were receiving and from a trusted doctor and looking at all these scans and seeing that everything's going wrong, that can just set the brain off to be like, Oh, something's really wrong here. And then send um, or amplify the, those symptoms. And I just thought I'd uh, ask what was your experience like after dealing with the revealing of the scans and talking to the doctor it, with the increase in symptoms, how soon was that sort of developing? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, man. You just, you just gave me goosebumps uh, to bring me back to that because it was such a pivotal turning point in the journey that I was on. Um, so I always say that we need four things in order to take on a new belief system. We need one, a power of authority, uh, such as a doctor, a chiropractor, physician, someone to tell us something is wrong or something needs to be fixed. Two, we need a heightened emotion such as fear or um, some kind of emotion that is basically the anchor to what this power of authority is telling us. Uh, three, we need an image or mental image. And we can get that by Googling all of the symptoms that we're being told we have or the disease. Uh, or we can get it by being shown an x-ray or an MRI or a CT scan. Uh, and then four, we need a, we need repetition or consistency. And we get that by repeated going over and over and over to the doctor or going back and back forward to the physio or the chiropractor or whatever, by reconfirming that something is structurally wrong so that we continue to try to fix it structurally, which strengthens neural pathways in the brain that this is a physical ailment and not an emotional experiencing experience causing a physical disturbance in the body. So for me, what happened was uh, I went to the um, rheumatologist and they took a blood test and told me that I had this genetic autoimmune disease and that there's no cure and that I would possibly be in a wheelchair. I wouldn't be able to do a physical activity the same anymore. And from that moment, in my experience, there was something that just triggered in me. And I just said, no, sorry, that's not my fate. And then he said, well, what do you mean? And I said, listen, I'm going to find a cure for this. And I'm going to, to heal this in my body. I've been a physically active fit guy my whole life, ate well, take care of myself. And it just doesn't happen like this. There's something more to this. And then he said, well, even if you do find it, and because I, I said to him, uh, I'm going find to a, find a cure for this. I'm going to bring it back to you so you can help other people with it. And he said, even if you do find it, I can't use it because it's not part of my protocol. So right then and there, that was the first really turning point of going, okay, you're not looking to fully banish this. You're looking to treat it and keep it under a Band-Aid and not actually look for the root cause. So... But to answer your question, what had happened after that was my symptoms got way worse. I started to get uh, heart palpitations. I started to get like plantar fasciitis, like uh, tendon pain. I started to get um, uh, knee pain, joint pain. I started to get headaches. I started to get osteoporosis in my feet randomly. I was allergic to 90 different foods, uh, like foods that 
you would just be like, what? Like I would eat spinach and curl over in pain because it was so bad. And it would happen out of nowhere. And I was like, what? Like after, after the diagnosis, things got so much worse. It got to the point where I was hobbling home in an alleyway and my whole body just like collapsed and fell on the, fell on the, uh, the cement. And yeah, it was, it was, it was quite, it was quite, uh, quite intense. And, you know, looking back on it, I don't blame the doctors and I don't blame them because they didn't know any better. If they did know better, they would do better. Um, but I do want them to take responsibility and be very careful and aware of the words that they use. Because when they use words like incurable and it's, there's no hope, you're not giving your patients permission to heal. You're not giving your patients permission to move into wholeness and health. It's, you're, you're keeping them in an idea of incompleteness, basically. So I just want to make that aware to, to any doctors or physicians out there to be very careful with the words you use when you're addressing people. And uh, saying those things because, yeah, after that, the symptoms got way worse. But having said that, it was exactly what I needed in order to keep pushing and seeking for the truth. And I'm so glad that that happened because uh, I came across another doctor and he said that he was telling me the story about how one of his patients uh, had the same thing. Um, her spine fused, they had to do surgery, and then her neck fused and they had to do surgery. And she couldn't look up to see her sister's wedding. And I was like, why are you telling me this? Like, what is the purpose of this? You're, are you just trying to fill me with fear so that I don't even move? And that's another part of it is that the fear keeps people from moving. And so what happens is now they become obsessed with, oh, if I move this way, do this way, bend this way, lift this way, because we're told that if we do those things, that our backs, or our legs, or our knees are weak and fragile, and they can get severely injured. So the fear equals more symptom, equals more fear, equals more symptom, and it keeps going, and it lowers the autonomic nervous system and diverts oxygen and blood and creates severe pain and can lead to severe disease. So... Uh, what will what will happen in regards to uh, someone who's going through this who might resonate where when you go to the doctor, uh, just be very aware of the emotional state that you're in when you receive information and the belief that you take on after that, because that's really where the turning point started with me. Um, but ultimately, again, saying that uh, it was a gift. It was exactly what needed to happen. So it might be what need to happen with whoever's listening to this. Yeah. Wow. There's so many things we can um, deconstruct there. I, I hope I do understand that a lot of runners, but also a lot of health professionals listen to this podcast and just having the knowledge and your insight around the power of words is so crucial to what you're delivering to patients. But just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Also, what you're telling yourself as a runner, those are still words that the brain feeds for confirmation. 
but coming from an authority figure just has so much weight and so much power that we do need to really be careful with how we phrase our words. And uh, we have sort of development sessions, especially relating to chronic pain and chronic back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, that kind of thing. And the, um, the physios that are on top of this uh, do know the importance of the language that we use and making sure that they know it's okay to move and that kind of thing. But also an authority figure can come from a family member, like a mum or a dad or, Oh, you have back pain or your uncle had back pain and he ended up in a wheelchair. Just enough like that is going to be um, enough for the brain to recognize this is more serious than I thought. And we'll start escalating signals accordingly. Absolutely, man. Yeah. We can, we even just like that, that what you said is, Oh, your uncle had back pain and ended up in a wheelchair like that invokes an image and an emotional experience in the person. Yeah. So, you know, when you have that emotion tied to the image tied to the repetition and the thinking patterns and the consistency, your body doesn't know the difference and your brain doesn't know the difference. So whether it's happening or not, it's still reacting on a neural neural level and sending those signals to your body. Yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of runners there who might be injured and right now listening to this might be relating okay what have my what's my coach told me what has my uh, other runners told me what has my physio doctor told me what language have they used uh how did i respond to that so it's a good way to self-reflect and the other thing i wanted to deconstruct a little bit is when you're talking about the image and being as one one of those four components and people having that confirmation that it is something physical. I'm getting pain because it is physical. Look at these scans, look at these disc bulges, look at this, uh, whatever they want to add. It goes on to looking at the science as well and knowing how you can scan a hundred healthy people and 80% of those show some sort of ailment, one like some sort of misalignment or disc bulge or anything, and they're asymptomatic. And so there's no difference into why someone might get symptoms like if someone starts developing back pain and then they scan that back and they show these disc bulges what's to show that that might be the cause might not be the cause but don't fool yourself into thinking it's 100 percent physical absolutely man yeah and they've done a lot of uh studies uh there's a study in the journal spine that talks about the inconsistencies of MRIs and x-rays and related relates them to physical pain. And there's actually no correlation with the site of where the disc bulge or the herniation is and how it can actually cause the severe amount of pain. There's some amazing studies out there. And again, it's, you know, comes back to, uh, if the, if the doctor or physician or whoever is treating this person doesn't take into account the emotional psychological, uh, environmental and stress factors and, and emotional repression and, and traumas as a part of a treatment, they're doing that person a disservice. And they're, in my opinion, misdiagnosing the person. Yeah. Well said. And this, like, it also be one of the reasons why you've gone through all this physical therapy, Cairo, Reiki, all this kind of stuff, and it wasn't working. Yeah. Yeah. And no, if, it, it would not work. If you get a, a message from a doctor saying that there's no cure for your ailments, then uh, what's the brain going to think when you start going to these treatments? 
Yeah. So what will happen is that people will, will, I always say with, with, with mind body stuff, I'm like, if you have doubt or any skepticism, this isn't for you. Like it, it, it's, it, I almost discourage people from not discouraged, but I almost, I don't try to convince anybody to do this type of work because they'll soon realize that the emotional pain is a lot harder to deal with than the physical symptom. And so what will happen is um, what you're saying is that uh, going to um, going to these other uh Sorry, can you repeat the question? You said going to the physicians and what, what, what was the oh, question again? The, the last one I touched on was the, the fact that treatments weren't actually working. And if the doctor says there's no cure, then the brain thinks there's no oh, cure, yeah. then treatments weren't going to be effective. Yeah. Right, yeah. So yeah, that, that's what I wanted to touch on um, was that going to these like doctors or these, these uh, naturopaths or whatever, um, some people will have really good results for a period of time because it was the placebo that they needed in order to go, Oh, this is a physical structure. This is a physical ailment. And boom, I go here and they give me this treatment and the symptom goes away or the symptom jumps around in the body to a different location. Like I've had people I've talked to and coached that talk about how, Oh yeah, I went, I went to this, uh, uh, naturopath and we did this and all of a sudden the symptoms went away and then they messaged me three, four months later and they're like, Oh, it came back full force. And to answer that question, a lot of it has to do with, it was the placebo that the brain needed in order to release the symptom at that time. Yeah, very true. And if we know if a little refresher from the the pain episodes, like not only does the level of pain not reflect physical damage, but does reflect context and belief and, um, you know, past experiences. That's kind of what is more related to uh, the experience of pain and how much pain you experience. But it's also said with treatments and benefits that is related to context as well. It's not necessarily the physical, it's more the, um, the beliefs and the past experiences. And like, I have a lot of clients that I see and I, if they come in wanting say dry needling or some other passive, um, mode of treatment, one of the questions you ask is like, uh, have you had a good response to dry needling in the past? Yeah. Yeah. I love dry needling helps me straight away. And I'm like, okay, let's do it because that's what they've come to recognize as benefit. But then in the meantime, use that as a short term treatment while explaining to them the longer, longer term benefits such as, you know, um, getting out and being more physically active, being stronger, being healthier, just the whole holistic approach. And so you're weaving that in as you're slowly uh, implementing more and more long-term strategies while satisfying themselves with the short-term strategies. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, the, I can speak from my experience and just other experience as well, where, um, the the moment that we go to physically fix something that's been caused from an emotional experience, we tell the brain that this is a physical ailment. And so what will happen a lot of the times is that basically that person will keep trying to fix this physical thing. And 
it'll just create more of it down the road. Uh, you know, I always say to people, it's like, if we didn't have a brain, like you were saying too, right? If we didn't have a brain, we would have no experience of pain. All pain is first felt in the brain and the awareness of pain is felt in the brain and then it relays to the body and where the site is. So yeah, it, it, it so comes back to um, any time that we, we treat the physical, the, the focus and the observation of the person treating the physical needs to be put on the emotional. So are we doing a physical treatment to treat something physically, or are we doing a physical treatment to release an emotional experience tied in the muscle, muscles, ligaments, nerves, tissues, bones, etc.? Yeah. And this is where that whole mind body connection comes into it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I, listening to your video and you explain this whole mind body connection, I was trying to wrap my head around it. And based on the interview we've gone through so far, my understanding is that, you know, it's, it's stemming from the brain, but also like more the emotional and like suppressed emotions side of things. And that can manifest itself into physical ailments. So is there anything else when it comes to the mind body connection, uh, like defining it or um, explaining it in any way that uh, we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, for sure. There's, there's a lot of layers to it. Um, a lot of it has to come back with personality traits too. Um, the kind of deep rooted thing that most of us humans carry, uh, I'd argue and say pretty much every human has this deep rooted feeling of not being good enough. So they overcompensate in areas of their lives in order in, in their life in order to feel good enough. And that's, that's can be a lot tied to perfectionism, uh, people pleasing. It can be tied to low self-esteem. Um, they, people set standards up of themselves that they can't possibly meet. So then they self-sabotage themselves because they're not able to live up to those standards. And so it results in unconscious shame and rage. And the two emotions that are shut down the most when we're young are rage, tantrums, and sadness. Those are the two. And rage is rarely felt consciously. And that's why it has to be addressed on a conscious, unconscious level to bring up to the conscious awareness. Yeah. And talking about the running population, there'll be a lot of these A-type personalities that have perfectionism and high standards that they give themselves and potentially uh, maybe not feeling like they're good enough. They're definitely certain personality traits that we do see in runners. Absolutely. Yeah. Very common. Like I can list off some, some personality traits, you know, that uh, people with symptoms, with people who have symptoms um, and the commonalities, like just to give you an idea, perfectionist, compulsive, highly conscientious, driven, self-critical, successful, people pleasing, to be a good person, to be helpful, non-confrontational, to seek approval, love, and admiration. Those are very, very common with people who uh, develop physical pain and disease. Yeah, wow. The second, like, we've, it's been a long time since I talked about this, but the first time, the first alarm bell that I was talking about, about the scans and the diagnosis and the um, prognosis talking about with the doctor, when I was listening yeah. to your video, the second alarm bell that went off 
was when you said I was constantly thinking about the pain when I first woke up and I was still thinking about the pain by the time I went to bed and sort of just what filled your entire day. And what, what the analogy I think of is when I talk about pain science and when the brain becomes hypersensitive to these sort of things is they have this analogy of like a tool shed. You've got a tool shed in your backyard and if someone keeps stealing your tools, you want to uh, put in place like defense, uh, some sort of defense. So you lock the doors, you shut the windows, you make sure they're locked and then you start to become a bit more um, sensitive. You'd be like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should install cameras. Maybe I should install these like lasers and motion sensors and heat sensors and like it all serves a purpose it's all meant to be so no one steals anything from your tool shed. But what you're doing is perhaps overreacting, still serving a purpose. But as soon as like one thing, like you can just imagine like a leaf that goes and hits that shed and then all these alarms go off and all these bells and whistles and all that kind of thing. And it's still serving a purpose, but it might just be a bit too over the top. That's what I think about when it comes to the brain and making it a bit hypersensitivity. The more you talk, the more you convince yourself, and the more you think about it, the more it starts to, uh, become sensitive and hypersensitive and do you see it in a similar light or do you want to phrase it a bit differently yeah absolutely yeah thank thank you that's a great analogy um for me it, uh there's an analogy that comes up where uh it's like how we learn we have you know if we're riding a bike first we've if we've never ridden this bike before just imagine being like a, a little kid and you get your bike and you've never touch this bike. You don't know how to ride it. So you have to grab the handlebars very consciously. You have to put your, your, your feet over the seat very consciously and you have to put your feet on the pedals and then you start slowly pedaling and getting your balance and going, Oh, I can lean this far to the left. I can lean this far to the right and I can move this way. And you have to consciously do this over and over and over again until it becomes an unconscious process and a subconscious just normal normalcy it just it just happens basically so then when now when you learn to ride the bike consciously you can just grab your bike and whoop, off you go and what happens a lot of time with people in physical pain or disease is that they uncon they're consciously conditioning them conditioning themselves to their symptoms disease ailment pain over and over and again until it becomes an unconscious process it's the exact same thing with like pavlov and the dogs and then what happens is they start to anticipate the symptom because it has been there before. So they bring that familiar past of pain experience into their current experience. And the brain doesn't know the difference between another experience that could be possibly happening because they're locked and controlled into this idea or this belief of it happening once again, the same way. So it, it becomes an obsession. It becomes like an every waking moment waking up oh how's the how's the knee how's the back today oh i can't move this side on the left on the bed i have to twist this way to get up because it'll hurt so each time that person does that they're unconsciously conditioning themselves to their symptom over and over and over again and then it just happens autonomically it just is programmed into the nervous system so it becomes that obsession with the pain that creates more pain because where we put our energy is where we put our attention and it keeps going and going and going and the brain is always looking for the danger in order to survive 
Yeah. I, the, there's a lot of work around chronic pain, just touching on the same point you're talking about the, like, even just if someone has a chronic pain for years and years and years, let's just say it's low back pain, even just the thought of bending forward to pick something up triggers pain. And there's even some uh, documented cases of even someone say watching a movie and watching someone bend forward and pick something up will trigger pain in the brain as well. And that is exactly what you're talking about. It's become ingrained, like, like unconscious. It's, it's just rigid inside the brain. That's going to be very hard to, um, to overcome. And one of the, the stories I like to say when someone has a chronic symptom and they get better, let's just say that someone has knee pain and they feel a lot better and months and months go on and they, they're starting to get back to normal and moving and, uh, you know, lifting and they come back in with a, another injury and I say, Oh, how's your knee going? They're like, Oh, I actually can't remember if it was my right or my left knee. And I'm like, that is a great sign because the brains forgot about it. You're no longer, waking up being like, how's that right knee today? Or if I do the stairs, okay, what's my right knee going to do? And they've just, it's totally erased. And as soon as they forget, I can't remember if it was the right knee or the left knee. It's like the perfect sign that they've uh, moved on. Whereas someone can say, yeah, I'm all better. But if they're constantly thinking about it, then they really haven't overcome that, that last hurdle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the symptom uh, will actually jump around the body in order to keep the person's attention fixated on the symptom. So if they bring awareness to certain areas in their body, the brain will only give up the strategy of protecting that person from those emotions once it is concreted in the subconscious that this is not a physical disturbance solely it's an emotional experience causing a physical disturbance and i just want to make something very very apparent that this isn't a made-up symptom like the person is feeling the symptom in real time it's very painful and it can be very uh excruciating so that's a the distinction is this isn't mind over matter it's how the brain uses these symptoms in order to protect us from feeling these unconscious emotions consciously. Yeah. I'm very glad to raise that point because then that addresses that group of people that will say, you think it's all in my head. You think I'm making that up. You think this, I'm just manifesting this in my own, but I do feel this pain because some doctor or some pain specialist will say it's all in your head and they'll misinterpret that. And, um, get really, really defensive because they interpret that message as to thinking they're making it up. Yeah, for sure. And the majority of people who are listening to this and who have symptoms are probably quite perfectionistic people. And the idea that, that we're doing this to ourselves is enraging. Yeah, good point. Very good point. So what's, What's our first step? Like if we do have these ingrained unconscious pain behaviors, um, what's something that we can do if we're stuck in this situation? Yeah, thank you. Um, so it comes down to very simple, really. Uh, we make it very more com- a lot more complex than it really is. But in order to heal and get better and understand what's happening first realizing that we're human (laughs) and we're very emotional sensitive uh in tune creatures and we all vibrate 
in a very unique way. And this is a normal part of being human. There's not one person that you have met that hasn't experienced mind-body syndromes or a psychosomatic symptom. Now, psychosomatic, again, it just means psycho, which means psyche in Greek, the mind, and soma, which means body. So it's just mind-body syndromes. Using that word, some people are like, oh, it's in my head. And it just simply means that the brain is connected to the body. That's really what it means. But um, yeah, this is, this is universal. It's a normal part of just being human and, and living. And so understanding that the symptom is there to help the person. It's there to help you. It's there to, it's like a knock on the door and it'll come up into your awareness. And we're so conditioned that when something hurts or something's painful, that we push it away or we try to fix it or we try to cure it or we try to, we try to medicate it. We try to numb it. But I would challenge you and whoever's listening to this to start to look at your symptom as a helper, a guide and someone, something there as a barometer to show you when you're putting so much pressure on yourself in order to be perfect and good. And coming back to your, your podcast in terms of running, it's so important because one of the questions is really to ask, where do you find yourself running in your life or running away from things in your life? Because that can be a very good indication of your body trying to say no, it's time to sit still and it's time to address this and it's time to go inside and, and listen and become aware of what you're avoiding or running away from. So it comes to, comes to a couple things. You have to first accept where you are. So for instance, if that person is having back pain or a disease or whatever, accepting, okay, this is the information that I've been given. This, this, is, this is where I am. I accept and love myself wherever I am right now. That does a couple things. It's going to allow the nervous system to kind of relax and go into that homeostasis state and rest a bit. You know, wherever we bring light to, there's no longer darkness and the light is the awareness. And, uh, you know, Sigmund Freud says it best. He says, unconscious repressed emotions will never die and they forever live on and will later come out in uglier ways. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's powerful, man. And, and, uh, there's some amazing, uh, quotes from a guy called Heinz Kohut as well. But going back to that point where the person needs to realize that the symptom is there to help them and it's there to show their emotional barometer. So as humans, we have conscious emotions and we also have unconscious emotions. Now, these unconscious emotions, when they fire in our unconscious mind, they affect our autonomic nervous system. They'll affect the nerves, muscles, ligaments, tendons, gastrointestinal breathing. We can also affect that consciously as well. Um, most importantly, it'll affect oxygen and blood flow, which is why the person will probably experience exercise and it'll be tied to having less pain because they're getting oxygen and blood flow to that area. But when the emotions are firing in the unconscious, they'll divert oxygen and blood flow. So it comes down to taking your attention fully 
off of any physical ailment, disease, or, or pain, and focusing it solely on the unconscious repressed emotions, the main emotion being unconscious rage. Now, under that rage is deep sadness, is loneliness, is all these other emotions. But typically, the rage is the first emotion that really was shut down the most in our experience as a child. So it's about coming back to yourself and really starting to be honest with yourself and how you are showing up in the world. Uh, there's so many different topics that are related to it. You can go into personality traits, uh, into uh, not knowing how to say no and setting boundaries. And a lot of this stuff comes from parents telling the child how to feel and unconsciously that's still continuing in the adult experience. And the, the, the adult goes, well, I, I can't be mad at my mom or my dad or my kid or whatever, because this is what's happening. So they repress that. So in a nutshell, it's about making the unconscious conscious and starting to look at what is causing unconscious rage in your life and a very simple thing and this can be good things or bad things it can be as simple so-called so good things or bad things um it could be as simple as i have to push myself and run every single day in order to become a marathon runner so i would start to look at the rage around having to push yourself in order to be better and where does that come from in your childhood experience? And what caregiver gave you the idea that you weren't enough now? So there's a difference between running in order to enjoy running compared to running away from a feeling, emotion, or a belief. See what I mean? Oh, this is good. This is powerful stuff. <laughs> and it's great that you can, you can relate this to the running population as well. And the understanding I have when you're talking about this is a lot of, a lot of times when I see clients who are in pain and they have several injuries going on, they've had it for years and years, they doubt themselves or they think their body is letting them down. They think their body's broken and it's a, a belief that's like self-perpetuating. But what you're trying to say is that this is actually the symptoms that they're receiving is actually uh, the body. Your body's actually working because it's telling you what um, needs to arise, what symptoms need to arise because something is wrong, whether it be consciously or unconsciously. So if you can flip that belief to be like, Hey, this is actually signals that my body is working, then that can help just be an initial step towards getting control of your symptoms and then just analyzing, like you're talking about with the running population, analyzing why are you running and really taking a deep dive into your own internal drives and past emotions and anything that's under the surface of why you actually find yourself running in the first place. And that's where you could be leading to things like perfectionism, to running away from something, to proving yourself for, to someone or something and it might not be an identity that's, that's serving you and it could be actually one of these drivers or this unconscious rage might be developing and it's not until you're honest with yourself and you identify these with doing a bit of a deep dive into uh, those internal drives which 
is when you'll start seeing results. Have I summarized that okay? <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, looking, looking. Um, can I swear on this podcast? <laughs> sure, go for it. <laughs> Absolutely, bro. <laughs> so, so bang on, man. It, it's always reverse engineering and like, okay, where do I like? Because most runners, you know, I can I can relate because my uncle is a professional rock climber and a marathon runner, and you know, recently he developed uh, a, a very severe disease, and it was it was wild. Um, a lot of runners have a very hard time staying still. Uh, they are always on the move, right? They're always active, and I I can relate because I'm like an active guy, and and the activity became the way for me to not see the way inside of me. So it was always me trying to get away from what was happening inside of me and running away from it. And that pattern will show up in their breath as well, in their breathing. And it'll also show up in every aspect of their lives. So yeah, like what you're saying is like asking that question, what, when do I go running? What, what prompts me to go running? Cause there's a difference between going running for enjoyment and going, wow, I really enjoy my body and I'm whole and complete now. And I'm, I'm running, I'm not running in order to get something. I'm just doing it because I enjoy it. There's a different message that tells the brain something when we do that. So really looking at the reasons behind whatever it is we're doing, it could be running, it could be meditating, it could be yoga, it could be eating, it could be, uh, sex it could be alcohol whatever it is these things don't happen because people are like for instance someone isn't overweight because they're overweight they're overweight because they eat their certain emotions that causes the overweight does that make sense yeah absolutely yeah and it's the same thing that can happen with anything and especially with running too is like where am i pushing myself over and over and over again to the point where my body goes you're not listening you need to slow down you're going to create more pain and more disease if you don't address the underlying emotional tendencies and coping strategies behind what's happening. Yeah, which is a really nice point to um, conclude at the end of this. When you're talking in this video, you mentioned a lot of the, the healing process started with you taking responsibility and stop being like, this victim and stop playing this victim mentality. And what you're describing here is when you're diving into your unconscious and you're unraveling what might be these hidden rages, that's the first step into taking responsibility and not just relying on doctors and relying on scans and relying on your physio and relying on everyone to do the work for you. You need to start doing this work yourself and taking responsibility for your own actions and your own recovery. And yeah, it starts with doing a deep dive into yourself because the professionals, the doctors, the physios, they're not going to know what emotions you uh, or past um, suppressed emotions you might be going through. And no, yeah, that's sure. where that, that powerful step uh, is put in place. Yeah. And they will, they'll never ask you that, you know, uh, Heinz Kohut, uh, psychoanal psychoanalyst, uh, says something amazing. He says that the patient as a human being with no, with, with worries, fear, so I'll repeat that the patient as a human being with worries, fears, hopes, and despairs as an indivisible whole and not merely the bearer of organs or a diseased liver or stomach or chronic pain 
is being the legitimate object of interest. Okay. So <laughs> I guess that's taking like the, the biopsychosocial approach, like just you're a human being, you're not just a, a, yeah. a, um, a diagnosis. Yeah. We, we come from all four directions, mind, body, emotions, and spirit. Right. Um, it, it, if we don't address those things in our lives, we'll create disease in other aspects of our lives. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's such a powerful thing, man. It's, um, you know, even just speaking about this, it's, it's a gift. It really is. And it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame, but it all comes back to being a child. When we observe a child in an emotional experience, they cry, then they're back to their breath Then they're happy. Then they're sad. Then they're angry. It's all, they're never judging the emotional experience. They're allowing it to move through like water. And what happens is we create that stagnant energy when we start judging and unconsciously repressing the experience because we know that we've expressed that before in the past and it caused a lot of pain, rejection and hurt. Yeah. Wow. And you, you keep using the word powerful and this has been a, a very powerful interview. Is there anything like any take home message or anything that we haven't discussed today that you want to make sure the listeners get and take away from this interview? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just want to, uh, repeat that. Um, you know, I, I like many out there who are listening to this was in the same experience, the same journey. And I just want to say that, uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of resistance to what I'm saying and it's very normal. And I welcome that. That's awesome. Uh, I encourage you to not take anything that I'm saying as true. I encourage you to do your own research and I encourage you to look for the connections and see your mind body connection. Don't take my word for it. Um, really start to dive in and discover this. But I will say that if you block out any possibility of your symptom going away or disease curing or whatever it is, then you block out any possibility of something new. So it's like living Tuesday over and over and over again, and there's no other days or there's no hope for other days. So really just start to ask yourself, if I didn't have this symptom, what would I do? What conversation would I have to have? Who would I need to forgive? And what would I need to do in order to make peace before dying? Because that's really what it comes down to is we think we have more time than we do. So we don't take action. Cool. I like that. And I, I'm happy that you, like recognize that it's up to the individual. Like you're not this guru who's telling them what to do. It's you're giving them the tools and the wisdom for them to um, have the option to experience it themselves and see if there's any connection or if there's any um, pattern that might be, they haven't recognized. And I know there'll be some listeners here that wouldn't even consider anything uh, that's related to their injury from past experiences or their emotions or um, any sort of hidden unearthed uh, emotion. And they might make this connection with this interview and might spark something and might lead to a, a really, really good recovery outcome and outlook on life. And so if someone is listening and loves what you're hearing and wants to either 
connect with you or hear about any other stuff that you have going on, um, can you maybe share a couple of social media accounts and your website? And I know you have a, a bit of a course that you're developing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so yeah, like, like what you said is, you know, I'm not a guru. I'm not uh, a healer. Uh, I'm simply here to bring awareness that you are your own healer and whoever's listening to this. And it's all within inside of you right now. And the idea that you're not whole and complete now is the main idea that keeps you in a diseased or painful state. So really become aware that it is all within inside of you. And that's why the, my website is called uh, Mind Body Healer. And it refers to anyone with a mind and a body as their own healer. And you can find me on uh, www.mindbodyhealer.com or on my Instagram. Uh, and the um, account is mind underscore body underscore healer. And uh, I'm also in the midst of creating a course that's going to take someone from point A to point B from pain and disease and ailment and and so on to pain and disease and ailment free. And it's going to be an interactive course that takes people on the journey back to themselves and really start to live an authentic life. And it's, it's not, you'll soon realize we're going down this journey that it's not about healing pain. It's not about healing disease. It's not about any of these things. It's coming back to the part of yourself that you've rejected and starting to accept and love that this is a part of who you are. And that's really what it comes back to is um, self-love and acceptance. And I will say one thing uh, about, I work with a lot of people who have a very religious um, connection too. And one of the things that I really noticed and that might resonate for someone out there is that what you were saying about the victim mentality uh, where all this stuff's happening and they do something called unconscious source purge. So when things get too much or things get too painful or things get in a different way, they check out of their body and they completely go, Oh God, why isn't God fixing me? Why isn't God helping me? And they give their mess. They give the message to their body that it's not safe to be in the body. So they literally check out of their body. And what will happen is that when we reject the body, the body rejects us. So that's one thing I'd really become aware of as well is the unconscious source urge to check out and not be with the symptoms that are coming up into your awareness. Uh, and like I said, again, I'm here just to hold the path and, the, and guide people in the direction if they want to discover their mind body connection. This isn't my work. Uh, this work comes from a lot of the teachings of Jesus, uh, Dr. Sarno, Heinz Kohut, Albert Einstein, all the people have all talked about this before. And now it's really become apparent that all pain and disease starts in the brain and is felt in the body. And when we understand that we are emotional, spiritual human beings, then, uh, we start to see the wholeness that has been inside the whole time. And we can start to step into that and see the mind body connection because they're one. And uh, yeah, that that's pretty much it. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. And uh, like I said, I'm making the program and the program is going to not only give someone 
the guideline and the tools and techniques and certain things to start to become aware of what's going on in the body, but give them day-to-day actions and start to put these things into action. We can learn about the mind-body, we can meditate, we can breathe, you know, all day and have all these awarenesses and things come up. But until we start to do something different and we expect the body to change when we're remaining the same, nothing will change. We have to put it into action. So for example, one of the things in the program is going to be today, you are going to call your mom or your dad or whoever's in the family still, and you're going to set your boundaries and what you need in order for this relationship to work and vice versa. And uh, some people listening to this might get a little bit uptight with that idea. (laughs) These are the things, these are the things that have to happen because they'll keep triggering your body and your symptoms over and over and over again until you say no. And you're, 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 saying no to a generational coping strategy and, and a bloodline of coping mechanisms and emotional repression. You're going, no, it ends here. And that's that. Everything you say makes me smile. I don't know why, but yeah, <laughs> <Just> the <laughs> stuff you talk about is just so, so cool. And I think like the yeah. audience, they're like, um, hopefully open-minded enough to uh, listen to this and be like, I'm listening to the Run Smarter podcast. I thought this was about making smart train decisions. I thought this was about healing or like right. overcoming my knee pain, but this is exactly what every runner needs to know. And so that's why I'm smiling yeah. because it's this not only uh, relates to runners, but relates to anyone with any injury, with any pain. Yeah, 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 for sure, man. And, and you know, um, one of the things is like, like okay, so you, say you break an arm. Yeah, you have a physical injury, but I would challenge that and go, okay, what led up to the broken arm? Start to look at the emotional sequences and certain things and and, uh, thinking patterns in your life that led up to the broken arm to allow the body to go, okay, you need to sit, you need to rest because the body will do that. It'll, It'll have these physical injuries that are such as a broken arm in order for us to give that time for us to breathe and relax and be with ourselves and stop running yeah awesome i think that's a good way to finish up and like jeff the way i think about it is like chronic pain it's it's a huge burden and it's like for runners or non-runners you know within the whole uh like the whole population it's just a, a massive massive burden and in this western world it's the way you're describing it it kind of sounds a bit backwards or we need to be a bit more open-minded and the way yeah. that the Western world is kind of constructed, structured around hospitals and scans and doctors does seem yeah. like it can be quite harmful. And you're doing a great thing in this world and providing these resources. And like you said with the doctor before, uh, it, do you want me to come back to you and tell, tell you what I've learned and my experience? And they're like, they say, no, that's like you're becoming that solution. You can't help them, but you can help others by providing them with this information. And I just want to thank you. Thanks for sharing your story and thanks for being that resource for people and knowing that you can't go to the doctors and change them, but you can change other people's lives doing it on your own. So um, thanks for your time. This has been super insightful and um, I'm really glad that someone like you has had this story and 
is willing to share it and share this knowledge that you've gained. Uh, so thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot for having me. And just a, a quick thing too, is um, part of the, uh, the program that I'll be doing is offering uh, uh, conscious connected breathing and trauma sensitivity and awareness. So that'll, that'll be also incorporated too. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me, man. I'm so, I'm so excited and pumped to be able to share this with the world. And ultimately my goal and my dream is to see a world free of unnecessary pain, disease, and physical ailments and symptoms. And uh, yeah. I feel like that's where we're going. And it's fucking exciting, man. <laughs> I am so pumped to be able to, uh, to share more with the world. Yeah, it's my pleasure to um, share this with any other um, following that I have. So, yeah, uh, this has been great, brother. Yeah, man. Thanks a lot, bro. And uh, yeah, thank you for what you do and uh, taking the time. It's awesome. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Running Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content will have on your future running. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and keep listening. If you want to learn quicker, jump into the Facebook group titled Become a Smarter Runner. If you want tailored education and physio rehab, you can personally work with me at breakthroughrunning.physio. Thank you so much once again. And remember, knowledge is power.